um, postpartum period, postpartum nursing is important to understand because there are a series of conditions that uh, we faced after delivery of the baby, after delivery of the placenta, and after expelling uh, or after the membrane has ruptured. Because those are our three concerns when it comes to um, labor and delivery. How can, uh, when the water, when the membrane ruptures, when the child comes out, when will the placenta be detached and when will we expel the placenta are the three major important things that we need to do to complete delivery. And now stage four of labor ends with the last four hours after delivery of the placenta. That ends stage four of labor and delivery. So when we're done with that, we have other components. We have other things that we need to master after delivery. There are a lot of things that are going to happen. Now, after delivery, there are maternal changes that we want to like focus on to know them to our fingertips. Now, these maternal changes, they are important. Now, postpartum period is the period when the entire uh, body, the entire body returns to its pre-pregnancy stage. So after postpartum period, that the time it takes for our body to go back to its non-pregnant stage, that becomes the postpartum period. Now, and uh, sometimes it takes longer in people, but the average time is six weeks. So six weeks, after after delivery six weeks our body returns to normal to normal pre-pregnant stage that is when the body has gone back and at that point in time if we are not on other preventive mechanism we can get pregnant with a new baby just within six weeks so it takes the body six weeks to return to the pre-pregnant stage now under here we have other thing that we look at now um we look at the various um we look at the various uh, 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 uh the various that that things we look at one we will look at the funders now the funders when we are pregnant the funder as the pregnancy grows the funders will increase in size it increases in size with time with centimeters of of with, with, with cm in regards to the age of the pregnancy that's how we count the cm one cm is equal to one week in our pregnancy so that's how we say okay she's 16 weeks pregnant she's 16 cm she's 20 weeks pregnant she's 20 cm now that's how we calculate the age of pregnancy in regards to the funders heart so after delivery this can return to its pre-pregnancy stage it takes time now um give me one second please so um it returns to normal now what is important under here is um when the width of the uterus will decrease from two pounds to at least two ounces in six weeks so in six weeks our funders should return to it should return in a perfect flow because the, so, so that's what happened in short so when we are pregnant at this stage, the fundus has started to grow because the fundus is within the pelvic flow. There where the fundus should be. So when we get pregnant with every week of pregnancy, as we as the pregnancy progresses in age, the fundus height will start to grow. 
so it grows or so this is our umbilical right here so it's, it's sort of grow time by time until it reaches around our zygote process at this point it's around for the two weeks of our at this time it's around like a between 38 to 42 weeks of pregnancy now at this point it does not grow to pass that particular limit there where it stops and it starts it stops right there and it moves ahead until time now so when we give birth this fundal height must return to the pelvic floor in the pelvic inlet there where it should return so it takes at least six weeks for it to return to its normal pre-pregnancy stage now a lot of things happen in here also um the fundal height decreases by one cm per day so every day one cm per day that's how it decreases until it reaches the pelvic floor now if you listen to our audio now i'm just like a, we uh, we have an audio on this particular as, uh, aspect in in our audio bank so listen to our audio you will have the step-by-step -step description how the fundal height can reduce from start to end now so within one every day it starts with one cm per day until it ends six at six weeks when you partake the abdomen you cannot feel the fundus within the abdomen after six weeks postpartum now what happened also in there by day 10 um by the 10 of the six weeks period we are still we cannot even feel the fundus height but but the 10, even if we cannot feel it with palpation, it is still not in the pelvic floor. So within six weeks, it's going to go back to the pelvic floor and it becomes very normal that you cannot even feel or do anything to see it and it is still up. But the, but the 10, you cannot feel it with the hand, with hand palpation. And by six weeks, it is back to normal. Now, every time when we're talking about numbers in the anklets, it is important to note the numbers. They are very important in the anklet. Because these numbers can be triggered in the anklet. That's why when we talk about numbers, you got to always make notification in your notepad when we're going ahead. Now, um, then, there are portions that we need to know for the anklets. Now, in this portion, we have the lock here. Now, the lochia are is just what we talk about the fluid that comes after delivery. Now, this fluid comes in three types. We have three different types of lochia that we're gonna see when we when we or uh, after delivery. Now, it is it is incumbent for us to know the consistency of these lochias, how they appear. Lochia rubra. Lochia serosa, Lochia alba. These are three dis distinct types of Lochia. Every type has different consistency. In the first one, the second one, the third one, and it has different days located. Now, uh, what is important for us to know here is um, the first one. So the first one is what we call the Lochia rubra. So the lochia rubra, the lochia, the first one is called lochia rubra. The rubra is the red one. This is red. It's kind of, you'll see like a real blood. It's bloody. It's, it's all called a bloody lochia. It's red. 
Now, this local rubra, it is bright, rare discharge after delivery. It's bright, rare discharge after delivery. It lasts for the first three days. So this lasts from day one to day three. So the first three days after delivery, we're going to see local rubra. So if we're teaching the pads, the pads we use after delivery, our pads will be blooded, our pads will be red, our pads will be what we call the local rubra, which lasts from day one to day three after delivery. Now, then the next one is the local serosa. The serosa is the next local that comes after local rubra. Now, local serosa is um it is not red, it is not clear. It has a little mixed color, a dark color. It is brownish in appearance. Sometimes it can be mixed with uh sometimes 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 it is mixed with blood and other uh serum fluid after delivery. So this particular look here, it lasts from day four to day five. So this will last from day four to day five. So it lasts the fourth day, the fifth day after delivery. That's what we call the Lokia serosa. Now the last uh so the, I'm sorry, it lasts from day four, day five up to day ten. Now it lasts from day four or day five up to day ten. The, 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 okay. So it lasts from day four, day five up to day ten after delivery. Now this is what we call the Lokia serosa. Now the next one become the Lokia alba. The alba is the one that is white, clear, serous fluid in appearance. Now this Lokia alba is what comes in as the third and the final vitamin discharge after delivery. And it is what we call the Lokia alba. Now this lasts from day 11 to day 14 postpartum. So that is almost like two weeks. At two weeks, there should not be any Lokia coming forth after 14, after 14 days, which is almost like two weeks. So these are the three kinds of fluid that you're going to have, you're going to experience in the case after delivery. Now, then um, this, this discharge should, everything has different constituency. For the local uh, uh, rubra, the rubra contains placenta debris and other deciduous from the uterus because so so they're gonna come in a rare blood or uh, in a blood uh, color and you're gonna have some take things in it. Those take things are like uh, the deciduous that are coming from the uterus and you're gonna have pieces of cloth in in it. That could be portion of or fragments of the placenta. So that is what I make up the the, 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 the locia rubra. Now for the locia serosa, the lo the or serosa has other epithelial cells in it. It also has some blood cells in it. So it's mixed. And the locia or serosa is kind of a very clearer. It smells normal, like a menstrual flow or a menstrual 
or, 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 or like a menstrual or, or, or like a menstrual fluid. That's how it smells. So it smells like fresh and smells in that same the same smell of the menstrual or flow. Now to determine most accurate amount of lochia. Now this is very important. Sometimes the anchor will ask us um, how many blood loss the individual had when we have the lochia. So to determine that, um, we say we weigh the perineal part, the part that we're going to use after the little, these parts have to be weighed to know how much blood loss the individual has had. So you weigh the parts and uh, after you use the part and identify the amount of parts that we're going to have per time. So um, when you wear the pad, you got to check the pad. Now, the pad has different kind of circulation that, that, that we're just about to talk about. Now, we'll look at the circulation, how many, uh, how sore the pads that we're using the pad are, what's the content of it, how does it look, the color, everything that, that will give us a complete rundown of how these things happening along the line. So these are things. Now, one one thing we need to also know is that after delivery, um, the cervix should go back to its normal stage. But with delivery, after delivery, your cervix can never go back 100% to the pre-pregnancy stage. And that's why when you are all, when you give birth one time, your second or third pregnancy or your subsequent pregnancy, um, we do not expect labor to progress like how it progressed during the first pregnancy so in the first pregnancy labor progressed slowly but in subsequent pregnancy when you were in labor or, or when you get in labor it does not take the same trend so in the first pregnancy for primary gravida it, it there should be at least 10 cm before we can say okay it's time to give birth you, you can begin to push the child out at 10 cm now if you're a multi-gravida it wouldn't take the same 10 cm. You can, you can be around 9 cm, 9.5, 9 cm because of the water to push because at that time the body has already gotten used or the body has already gotten exposed to those hormones that created the that that, that, that create that created the first ability for you to push out the baby and for the service to open the child to come out. Because that's not gonna be your first time. So there's a difference between priming and someone who has had multiple uh children or who have had multiple gestation there's a there is a different now so you're going to have an assignment um let me take the, the let me take the from the uh, the 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 Sanders book um so you're going to have an assignment in the Sanders now in this assignment you will look in the Sanders you have um these things in here right if you look at this page here, it talks about a lot of things about postpartum postpartum uh, conditions. You look at the postpartum conditions, look at the intervention, you look at the vital signs postpartumly, how uh, when it is increased, what does it mean? The fundus height at day one, day two, day three, day four, how the fundus height reduces as time goes by. You look at that. You also... Um, I get to the page because the page might not be the same. If you go to the Saunders book, look on our postpartum period. You look at what I'm talking about here. They are in there. 
And you also look at different conditions. You look at different discomfort that we experience in people that, that we talked about before, like episiotomy, wherein when the child is not coming, maybe the child's head is, is kind of a bigger than the size or the opening of the vaginal introtus. In that case, what's going to happen is you go in and create a tearing. You go in, there will be a tearing that occurs. That is what we call the episiotomy. Now we can do that. You, you read about it in the Sinders book, and you look at the management of the episiotomy, you look at how it progresses from start to end. Then we have other discomfort there. You look at them, like breast changes, nutritional counseling, you see them under there. Then you look at few other postpartum complications. You look at few other postpartum complications in there. You will see cystitis. When there's a bladder infection, you're going to see it in there. You see hematoma, you see hemorrhage, you see infection, which I'm about to talk about, and you see other things under there. You see mastitis, you see subinvolution, you see pulmonary embolism, you're gonna see thrombophobitis, you see prenatal loss, you see all those conditions that you're gonna find in there. Please look in the book and look at them, then that will complete what I want to complete for this particular. Or in the Sinders book, since everyone has copy of the book. Now, there are complications. There are few things I want to look at in specific when it comes to postpartum life, and they are important because these are points that we should we should be able to, to know in detail. One of those things is um, deep vein thrombosis (DVT). Now, DVT comes in other conditions, and it also comes in postpartum period. In postpartum period, there are unexpected events or occurrences that can happen during the postpartum period. So it is imperative upon us as nurses or as test takers to learn about them, to understand them thoroughly for the endless. It is important for us to initiate this nursing intervention to achieve positive outcome when someone is on our watch and is giving birth or is doing is undergoing labor uh, labor. Now, what is important on here also, we'll look at um deep vein thrombosis, DVT, we'll look at um we'll look at thrombocytopenic conditions. We'll look at other coagulopathic disease conditions. We'll look at them. We'll look at hemorrhage. We'll look at uterine involution. Now, these are conditions that are going to occur or that might occur when we give birth. Now, individuals who have had many pregnancy, so many deliveries. Now, we've heard some laymen turn that, okay, she, she, uh, she gave birth. But uh, the uterus came out. Yes, it does. So in this case, in a case where someone wants to do a delivery and the uterus came out, now what can we do? What can be the management when that occurs? How can we do it? In doing it, what are the do's and don'ts? We'll talk about it in a short time before we leave. Now, let's look at deep vein thrombosis as the first one. Now, deep vein thrombosis is a thrombophobitis condition um, that is caused by veins inflammations. 
Now, when this occurs, our veins get inflamed, and uh, most of it is our lower extremities, our legs, the veins in our legs are affected when we have DVT, deep vein thrombosis. Now, in this case, um, like the femoral veins, like uh, the saphenous vein, or the popliteal veins, those are the major lower extremity veins that are affected when we have DVT, deep vein thrombosis. Now, under here also, um, the client who is in the postpartum stage is at a greater risk when the client is experiencing DVT um, or for, for this condition, which might lead to other bigger problems. Now, um, what's going to happen? When there's a deep vein thrombosis, when the, when the thrombus, the thrombus is like a blockade or a clot within the blood. When that clot dislodges from where it is normally, what happens to it? It moves to all locations of the body. If it gets dislocated and moves to another location, definitely it causes a problem that might be fatal to our health. If it moves to if it moves towards the lungs, it causes what we call pulmonary embolism. If it moves towards the brain, it causes stroke or what we call CVA, cerebrovascular accident. Now, every part of the body it moves, it causes different disease conditions that might be detrimental to our health or that might even lead to our death. That's why it is important to know every do's and don't about DVT. Because it can cause pulmonary embolism or other fight or other fatal conditions. Now, risk factor include like uh, you have pregnancy, you have um if you had if you were pregnant and you did cesarean section, that could be a risk a risk factor. When you were pregnant or you you had you were smoking or you had obesity and other things, those are factors that might expose you to DVT. A remote DVT will lead to other conditions that are fatal to our life, which include like pulmonary embolism. Now, sometimes the age at which we get pregnant, that age also has an impact on us. Sometimes, like uh, we've had so many pregnancy, we've had so many deliveries, these things can put, put us at risk for DVT. Or we have other conditions like diabetes mellitus can put us at risk for what? For this particular DVT. Now, when a client has DVT, what are the symptoms? What are the cardinal symptoms for DVT? Now, the cardinal symptoms for DVT will be legs pain. You're gonna have legs pains. The person will complain of pains in the legs, will complain, and there will be a legs pain or legs pain, or we call tenderness. You have the leg will be tender and you will feel less pain in there. Now, those are like uh, the cardinal symptoms of deep vein thrombosis. Now, you overheard the girl was talking about connectivities in the ankles. Now, like I, I, let me say this again. The ankles will not tell you that the individual has deep vein thrombosis. What would the nurse do? Many a times, the ankle would not bring that to us. The ankle will say, so the client has legs pains. After delivery or during the postpartum period, the, the nurse who just delivered called the, 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 sorry, the patient called the nurse and said, I'm having legs pain. So what would the nurse do? 
Now, in that case, that's that is just not an ordinary leg spin. It is a leg spin that is rooted in DVT. Better stay, even if it is not DVT. When all, when, whenever the ankle question uh, gives us signs of symptoms, to be in the right position is to collect the signs symptoms, put them together, and have it in your mind. Picture a diagnosis. So, okay, this person has leg pain. The person's leg is tender to touch, and the person has leg pain. So, what is happening to the person? So, let me think and see what is happening in this case. So, all you do is you go on and think. And think, calculate the symptom that you got from the, from the question, put it together, and understand exactly what are you to come up with. So, in this case, this, 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 this is the symptoms. These symptoms match what condition? That's the first thing. Now, if it matches DVT, then you ask yourself, what would a nurse do when a client has DVT? So we should be able to understand the symptoms, picture them, and be able to relate the symptom to the condition, and then come up with a management. That's how the English goes. So in this case, if we do physical assessment, there's going to be also a unilateral area of swelling, warmth and redness. There will be swelling. There will be redness. And there will be a unilateral pain somewhere on, uh, in one of the legs. Unilateral leg pain. Now, these are the cardinal signs, symptoms of DVT. Or they might say, now, nowadays, they might not use the word calf pains or calf pain. Before the message, say calf, C A L F, calf tenderness. Tenderness. Now, this is a cardinal sign. But because the English know that we got used to calf pains as a cardinal symptom of DVT, in the English nowadays, they might not even, they have stopped using the, the word calf pain. If it is used, that's from, if you don't see calf pains, any, any one of these symptoms in there, meaning it is a permanent symptom, it is a cardinal symptom of of DVT. So calf tenderness, leg pain, swelling, redness, lateral pain at one side, these are all symptoms of, 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 of DVT that we want to see in the ankle. Now, if we have this, what can we do? Yes, they go on and uh, produce uh, some, some, some laboratory procedure that are invasive to test and see what's the cause of uh, what's happening. We can do a Doppler ultrasound. We can do a Doppler ultrasound. Um, we can we can do Doppler ultrasound scanning. We we'll scan the legs and see what's happening. We can do a CT scan also, come uh, which we call the uh, computer tomography. That can be done a CT scan to know what is what is happening. If it's a clot and where the clot coming from, we can do a scan and know what whether there's a clot that causing the pains or not. Then we can go on and what and do MRI. So we can do Doppler ultrasound, we can do a CT scan, we can do MRI to figure out what is causing the pain in the scalp or the pain in the legs. We can do this test to know. And these are all our non-invasive procedures that we've talked about here over and over. Now, the next thing we could do in here, after, this, after these procedures, what next is the intervention. And the nursing intervention for this condition are the most important one for us to study for the ankles. 
If you look, listen to this book, they are in there. They might not be in there as how like I'm saying because the like how I'm saying they are they are in sequence and they are going down. Now under here, our nursing priority for this condition, after after delivery is prevention. We want to prevent DVT because DVT is a life-threatening complication after delivery or during the period postpartum. So when a condition that is a complication, our nursing goal is to prevent that from occurring. So the prevention becomes our utmost priority in this case. Now, in this case, we how do we prevent? We provide education on DVT and encourage the client. How or what are the measures to prevent deep vein thrombosis? We want to maintain a sequential compression device. Now, if the client is at risk for DVT, that's why in the group homes we work, at the very rehabs we work, some clients wear these compression stockings for the whole day. And at that time, they remove them. Now, some will wear it at that time and remove it in the morning. Now, so they are wearing it to prevent deep vein thrombosis. Why? Because if these sacs are not compressing on the veins, the blood will clot. If the blood clots, the blood will create those clots, and those clots will lead to what we call DVT. And if DVT is not managed, it leads to other complications that might be uh, uh, harmful to our lives. That's why they are wearing those stockings. So compression stockings wearing helps to prevent deep vein thrombosis. Another one is, the client, uh, if the client, if, if bed rest is pro prolonged more than eight hours, if the client stays in the bed for more than eight hours, the client will need one range of motion. And in this case, if the client is not ablatory, the client will need a what a passive range of motion. Have to go in and extend and flex the client legs, bouncing back and forth. To start to, to start to make the blood to flow fluently in the client body, or as if the client remains in one position for a longer time, the client is at risk for what for DVT. That's why when the woman is pregnant, when she's having the swollen legs, other thing, we want her to walk around. Walking around will move the blood in the legs, and then she will be free, or she'll be able to prevent DVT in this condition. Another thing under here is we initiate um early and frequent ablation after postpartum we avoid prolonged period of standing prolonged period of sitting and prolonged period of lying down in bed so even if even in this case standing can also create that so you don't have you want to avoid prolonged period of sitting prolonged period of standing and prolonged period of even lying in bed any one of these can be a cause to develop dvt we want to also go ahead, we want to have the client to elevate the leg while sitting. If the client is sitting for a longer period of time, the legs must be elevated so that the blood cannot be clotted in one location or the blood cannot stop circulation in one location. These are things we want to do under here. Another thing we do under here is um, get the client to avoid crossing her legs. You do not want to cross your legs when you are at risk for DVT. The client which will reduce because if, le if the legs are if the leg is crossed over the other one, it might reduce the chance of one proper circulations. Tell the client to avoid crossing the legs. 
maintain a fluid intake of at least two, two to three liters per day to help to create that viscosity of the blood while the client is moving around. Um, we want to um, we want to tell the client that this continuous smoking, smoking products are raised for this DVT. We want to, we want to try to measure the lower expenditure for fitted elastic stockings or holes to lower to lower the extreme, to lower the chances of the client coming down of this particular DVT. Now, these are all things we do to prevent DVT. Now, what if a client did not prevent DVT, or what if we try and we could not pre prevent it, and the client came down with DVT? In that case, what can we do to what to fight the DVT for its own complication? One, we encourage rest. If the client ever came out DVT, the client needs to rest. That's the first thing. The client must rest. Two, we should facilitate bare rest and elevation of the client's excrementor above the heart level. Now, we should, uh, 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 we should go ahead and facilitate bare rest and elevation of the client's excrementor above the level of the heart. We should avoid using a knee gash or pillow under the client leg. We cannot use pillow under the legs when the client has deep vein thrombosis. We also want to administer intermittent or continuous warm moist compresses. We want to use intermittent or continuous warm compresses. Why, is, why are we using that? Because if we use warmth, Heat or warm in this case is a blood thinner. In a sense, it's a blood thinner. Cold will cause the blood to coagulate. So the heat will cause the blood to. It's a blood thinner. It's an anticoagulant in a sense. So that can help to make the blood to be viscous, and the blood cannot. The blood can flow free of of freely. Now we also do not. We do not. We do not. We do not. I was just three times. You never massage. You never massage the legs when the client has DVT. Why? Because the clot is what we call DVT. And when the clot dislodges, what happens? It moves to other locations that may cause problem. So if there's a clot in the legs, in the lower legs, now, it stays in there for some time. Our prayer is the clot should not dislodge. So it can stay there. We have some medication. But if it, if it gets dislodged and move to all location, it goes to the lungs, it might cause pulmonary embolism, which is, not, which is not good for us in this case. Now, we measure the tie, the tie high stacking that, that, that they're going to use, um, which will help to. To, to reduce the risk of um, the condition. We administer analgesic. Many cases we administer NSAID medication. And we can administer anticoagulant for DVT. We can also go in uh, and provide thigh-high anti-embolism starting for the patient who has the DVT to prevent the complications. Now, there are medications that the client can take for this thrombosis that will only prevent like warfarin or like in the case of heparin.
Heparin does not dissolve blood clots. Heparin reduces the 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 the, 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 the formation of new clots and it prevents the 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 enlarging or uh, it, it, it prevents um the clot being enlarged. So with heparin, we do not have new clot formations. With heparin, the clot that have already been formed in the blood, they are they, they do not get enlarged. That's the function of heparin within the blood. Now then we also uh we we can administer medication like the heparin I talk about. We can administer warfarin in these conditions. So we can administer the heparin, which is an anticoagulant. We can administer the commanding or warfarin, which is also an anticoagulant. The heparin can be given IV. The commanding can be given PO. Um, the heparin and the, the heparin is given to prevent formation of other other clots. And to prevent the enlargement of existing clot, it is important to know what the heparin will do in this case. For the commanding, the commanding is used for the treatment of clots. It is administered orally and is continued by the client for up to three months for the commanding. These things are important to understand and to know why are we giving them. Any questions uh, so far? Any? Uh, any any question? Pulmonary embolism occurs when fragments or an entire clot dislodges and moves into circulation. That is what we refer to as pulmonary embolism. It is a complication of DVT, what we just talked about, and it is very fitted to our life. Um, we have acute pulmonary embolism, which is an which is a medical emergency. So acute pulmonary embolism is a medical emergency. Now in this case, there are risk factor for this condition. The number one risk factor is DVT, deep vein thrombosis, which can cause pulmonary embolism. Then we have expected findings. When a client has pulmonary embolism, the client will have what we call apprehensions. The client will have pleuritis, chest pain. So they're going to have chest pains. The client is going to have dyspnea. The client is going to have tachypnea. Now, um, these symptoms are all symptoms as you hear in the symptoms of respiration. So in the end class, this question is going to come in slower than applied. Now, and I want to start thinking like test taker. I want to start thinking like we are going for the endless. When you have questions like slow that apply, which you're going to have so much, so many of them on your endless. Please do not rush to pick answer. Anything you're going to pick in slow that apply, questions should make sense to you. And in this question, the thing about pulmonary embolism, we cannot pick up, we cannot pick up a symptoms that is not linked to breathing. Pulmonary embolism is about the lungs. And this is not going to pick in there as level that applies symptom for the question should be in line with lungs, of our lungs. That's why we're going to see apprehension. You'll see pulmonary chest pain. When your lungs are having a problem, you will feel pain in your chest because your lungs are in your chest. That's 
a good reason. You're gonna have dyspnea. It's it's about it's about breathing. You're gonna have tachypnea. You're gonna have uh, 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 hemoptysis. You're gonna have heart murmurs. You're going because the heart gets the power to to, to pump blood from the lungs. The heart gets O2 from the lung. So when anything happens to the, to the lungs, it affects the heart. They work together. That's why you're going to have this uh, these heart murmurs. You're going to have distended neck veins because the neck veins is connected to the lungs, the, uh, is connected to the heart, and the heart is connected to the lungs. So these things these things are very much intertwined. We you're going to have peripheral edema. You're going to have elevated temperature. You have hypotension. You have hypoxia in this sequence. That's how you're going to have this condition coming in. All because you are having pulmonary embolism. Now, in this case, what are the things we do under here when we are having this when we are having these symptoms? Now, there are lab tests. Another thing is, we have to know for our ankles what can we do when we have these problems. What can we do? It is important. What lab test can we do? To ascertain what we're thinking, to ascertain our imp our impression, because in medicine we have impression, we have diagnosis. Impression is what you think is happening. Diagnosis can be done when we've done all of our assessments, all of our procedure lab-wise, and we are sure of what we're saying. Okay, the person had this condition because we have done all these tests, and these tests are proven to be what the person has. So in this case, this is the person diagnosis. So we do. Perfusion lung scan. Now, if you do not know these conditions, what they mean as we talk about them, please define, please look at them. Look at them. What are uh, what how do they take it be done? We do perfusion. We do perfusion lung scan. Lung scan. We are doing a scan because remember with this CT scan when we had DVT to locate the clot, the size. How is it looking at? How many? We did a scan. Now we are doing a long scan because the clot that was in the lower extremity, it has this large. So where is it in the lungs particularly? That's how we're doing a long scan. We do a perfusion long scan. That's one. Two, we go in to do chest x-ray. We do chest uh, x-ray. We do a chest x-ray in there. The next thing we want to do in there also is to do a radioisotope long scan. We do a radio isotope, um, isotope lung scan, a radio isotope lung scan. We do that. Then another we do, we do the pulmonary angiogram or angiogram. We do pulmonary, we do pulmonary angiogram. Angiogram is done. Then the last thing we do for this condition is. We do embolectomy. We do embolectomy. Embolectomy. Now, in this case, um, it's a procedure that is done to remove the clot within the lungs, which is called embolectomy. Meaning we have done all our things and they are filled. So, in this case, if it is acute, we must do an emergency embolectomy to remove the clot in there. So, if I were you, I would have gone to my book, to the internet, and read about this condition one at a time. 
Because we get this condition, we did message and we'll do it again for those who wouldn't do message. Because in message, when it's called the lung disease, we're talking about the lungs test. So we're talking about the perfusion of the lungs, the x-ray, all, all things that is following the lungs, the CT scan, the MRI, we discuss them before coming to the conditions. So, so you can look at them and look at their indication. Now, for PE in this case, we can do um, medication. Now, the client who has pulmonary embolism should always be in a semi-fallow position with the hair of the bed elevated to positive breathing. So when a client has PE, the client should always be in a what? A semi-fallow position because the client is at risk for problems of breathing. That's why you are seeing the dyspnea, the apprehension, the tachypnea, those are all symptoms of ineffective uh, 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 O2 perfusion. So when a client has a nursing DS of ineffective airway perfusion, this client, one of their intervention would be to elevate the bear to be able to, to, be able to breathe well. Because if you breathe well, you have effective airway perfusion. If you're not breathing well, you cannot have good saturation or you can have good airway perfusion. That's why you can elevate the bed. Now, then another thing is the client will need O2 mask because the client want to want to have the, the best delivery to the system. Now, about the O2 mask, you have to understand what kind of O2 mask can we use in this case. A client who is having pulmonary embolism, the client who needs a particular amount of O2 to be, to be delivered to them we have to know what marks to use. And this marks, when we look at these marks, this marks, when we play this mark, I talk about them. I talk about when a client needs a particular amount of O2, we, uh, uh, we can use the non, uh, 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 we have the uh, the, the non uh, rebreather marks. We can use the non rebreather mark. If the client is having like a claustrophobia, we cannot use on the client a non rebreather mask. We use the on the client the what the nasal cannula or the face tint that goes up and blows air into the client face and the client can get it. Now so you have to go back, review your marks, look at the kind of low O2 marks and their indication, go in and, and review your high O2 marks and their indications. Now medication wise the client can take series of drugs um, you have the what we call the RT place. The RT place is a is one with one uh, RT place. The client can take that medication. The client also take the streptokinase. The client can take streptokinase. Uh, streptokinase. Another drug the client can take. Now these drugs. Um, look at them, um, and you will know exactly what they are. The two drugs, they are almost the same medication. Uh, uh, they have this, almost the same side effect, and they have almost the same uh, nursing management or nursing. Uh, uh, they have almost the same uh, side effects, the same uh, 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 mode of action. They have almost a lot of things. They are the same, and they have almost the same contraindication. So. Look at the arctic place, look at the structure kidneys for um, pulmonary embolism. Now, 
then we'll look at our uh, postpartum hemorrhage. Now, postpartum hemorrhage. Now, there is a slight difference between bleeding and hemorrhage. So you, you, you can bleed, you still not having hemorrhage, or uh, you still not hemorrhaging, and you can be having hemorrhaging during room. So bleeding and hemorrhaging are not the same. So when we talk about hemorrhage, um, hemorrhage, we are talking about um, a lot of blood that is above 500 ml. So hemorrhage, talking about loss of blood, hemorrhage is about blood loss that is above 500 ml. Then you are hemorrhaging. That's how we look at hemorrhage. So when a client is having postpartum hemorrhage, meaning the client has lost blood more than 500 ml after vaginal birth, not a uh, C-section. Now, if the client has NVD, normal vaginal delivery, any bleeding above or equal to 500 is called hemorrhaging. If the client had a C-section, the client if the client has above 1,000 ml of blood loss, this is due to what we call what then this become one hemorrhaging. So when a client has C-section, the client can have 500 ml of, of bleeding of, of blood. The client is still not having hemorrhage. Now, in this case, um, when there is complication that can occur following postpartum hemorrhage, those complications got to be managed. Other than that, they will lead to other problems. And there are two of those complications that need to be managed. One of the complications is hypovolemia or anemia. So if the client is having postpartum bleeding or postpartum hemorrhage, and if it is not managed, the client is going to have hypovolemic shock or the client can have anemia. So that's what's going to happen as complication for what for this postpartum hemorrhage. It leads to two conditions. Hypovolemic shock and it leads to anemia. So um, there are so much different complications the client is going to have um, that leads to postpartum hemorrhage, which include atrophy of the of the uterus, um, multiple gestation, uh, multiple pregnancy, or uh, multiple gestation, that might lead to so many other complications that, that the client might experience this particular postpartum hemorrhage. Now, or even an increase in law care. Remember, we said the law care rubric that lasts for the first three days after, after delivery. That is a law that is bloody. It looks, it's it, 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 it's it's actually a bloody. It contains red blood cell. It contains some red blood cell. It contains some other uh, uterine fragments, or it contains fragment from the uh, fragment from the um, from the placenta. So in this case, you have all these things coming in. Now, what is also important to know here is when a client is experiencing um, when a client is experiencing postpartum hemorrhage, uh, there will be increase or change in, like I said, in the pattern of the lochia. So a lochia root rash should last for three days. So the client will have an increase in the lochia root rash for more than three days, and the client will have, uh, it will come longer than three days, and it will be, in, it, will, it will come, more, you will start to learn, you will change so many parts in an hour. So, these are sounds of what 
of hemorrhaging. If we change, if we change so many parts in less than an hour, indeed the client is having the client is having him the, the client is experiencing hemorrhaging. And in this case, we should really like to get ready for what to put in measure measure that will prevent uh postpartum hemorrhage. Now we do all now the client will also have um uterine atoning, meaning um the uterus. Now, this is very important. Let me just state this before we can move ahead. Um, when the client is having a bulging, a bulging uterus, we say bulging uterus. When the client has a bulging uterus, um, it is, it is a bulging uterus. It is a symptom of postpartum hemorrhage. That's a very big and a very good symptom for this condition. If the client has this, uh, or when the client is having like a hypotonic uterus, or we say the client has hypotonic uterus. Now, um, let me tell you what's happening in here. In here, there are things. Uh, there are things in here. Now, the anchors will not say the client is having postpartum hemorrhage again. The anchor might tell you the client is having after. After the delivery of, of the child, the uterus is bulging on palpation, or the uterus, the, the, the client has a bulging uterus. Now, what, what would the nurse, what would be the nurse immediate action? Now, in this case, the anchor did not say the client is having postpartum hemorrhage, but rather it says the client is having a bulging uterus. And the bulging uterus is a cardinal sign, it's a cardinal sign for postpartum hemorrhage. So we should pick up this cardinal sign and put in what can be done in this case. In this case, we'll look at the nursing management. Before we do is that we want to massage the uterus. When a client has a bulging uterus after, after delivery, that is the cardinal sign for what? Postpartum hemorrhage. And how do we do this? Is to go in and massage. Firm massage of the uterus can help this. Now, the next thing that's going to happen under here the client will have um, blood clot will be larger than its natural size, than a quarter. You, you, uh, you, you're going to see larger blood clots in the Nokia that will be a size of a quarter, a quarter or more than a quarter size. When you see, like, the money we use, the, 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 the coins, the quarter coins, you will have a sign of the blood clot in the side of more than a quarter. That's a sign of what? Of him of, of postpartum uh, uh, hemorrhage. Now, another big one is the client. The client will change path. They will change vaginal path they will <clears throat> so fast. They will change vaginal path 15 minutes or less. So they will put in a path less than 15 minutes they will change the path if you change the vaginal path after the less than 15 minutes of, or even after 15 minutes that's a sign of what hemorrhage so we should pick up these things and work with how we are going to move ahead now another thing under here that's going to happen to 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 the client here is the client will have pair of constant oozing the client will have friend flow of breath and consider breath flow of blood. They will have blood coming from the vagina in a consistent manner. It will be bright red blood flow. 
The client is going to have tachycardia. The client is going to have hypertension. The client will have pale skin. The client will have cold, clammy skin. The client will have a uh, pale mucous membrane. And the client is going to have oligourea. The client will have oligourea or oligourea. These are cardinal signs of bleeding or hemorrhage in, uh, in postpartum period. So if you pick up these signs and symptoms, work with them, and know what we're going to do. So these are things that are going to happen to a client who is having postpartum hemorrhage. Now, what the lab test we do, like I said, every time there is a bleeding problem, the number one lab test we want to do is our hemoglobin, the HGB, and the hematocrit, HCT. Then we we'll go ahead and do the client coagulation study, coagulation study, which will be the PT, the PT time for the client. Then we we'll go ahead and do blood type and cross. You we'll do the blood type, <coughs> blood type and cross. Why I would need, just in case if the bleeding does not stop, then we we'll go in and administer blood. At which time we we'll know the client is blood A, blood B. A, B, or blood O. So these are the four tests we do for a client who is having postpartum hemorrhage. Now, one other intervention, like I said, when a client has a body or the client has a hypotonic uterus, what we do, we firmly massage the uterus or the fundus height. That's one. Secondly, we monitor the client's vital signs. It is important because changes in the vital signs will give us an indication of the problem becoming worse. Another thing is, we want to assess the fundal height, the firmness, and the position of the fundus. The next thing is, if the client has a body uterus, like I said, we massage the uterus, this will increase muscle contraction. If the muscle becomes contracted, it will lessen the bleeding time in pregnancy. Another thing we're going to assess the clinical findings. If the client had laceration, if the client went to what we call the episiotomy, which can be the tearing that will create most pain for the child to come out. We'll do all these things. If the client had this condition, then we go ahead and provide the best treatment method for this. Another thing is, um, we go ahead in this case, we go ahead and see what the client has hematomas. We go ahead and assess the lochia. What look at the client have? Is it serosa? Is it rubra? Or it is alba? In many cases, for hemorrhage, in all that, in many, the client will have continuous lochia rubra, even after, after the three. Because we said a normal lochia rubra lasts for how many days? For three days. So in this case, the client will have it over three days. We go in ahead also. We Assess the client blood distension. We insert an indwelling character to assess the kidney function and, obtain, and obtain an accurate measurement of the urinary output. We maintain or initiate an IV infusion to replace the fluid loss because the client in this case is at risk for other hypovolemic shock or anemia. If it is hypovolemic shock, we replace the lost fluid. And in this case, in this case, we are going to use. <coughs> Isotonic solution because in this case the client is losing both sodium electrolytes 
potassium. They are all being lost in equal amounts. So we give a solution that is why isotonic in nature. Now, so we go ahead also, um, we administer, we can also administer, like we administer like a, a ring of lactate. We can administer 0.9% sodium chloride. We can also give colloid volume expanders. So we have colloid volume expanders. Please read on the on all the colloids volume expander. Read on this. Read on the, the colloid volume expander. C O L L O I D colloids volume um, expander. Read on them. It is important to know them what they are or, 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 or what what this means. Now, read on them. The last time I did to read on the very fluids. Isotonic, um, hypotonic, and uh, hypertonic. Now you gotta understand what are the hypotonic fluids, what are the the ones that are iso, and which one are hypo. These are all in your book. Just look at them and list them and study them for the anchors. It is important to know this thing for the anchors. Now, um, we want to provide or uh, also pack rare blood cells. If the client has lost so much blood, blood cells, we give pack, pack, packed red blood cells. And we also give fresh plasma, uh, fresh frozen plasma if the client has volume loss. And we want to elevate the client legs up to 30 degrees to increase uh, venous returns. These are important things the client will take. Now, after that, there are drugs in this case we can use. Those medications are one, we did them in pharmacology, and now I'm talking about them again. If you did not if you don't know them, go ahead and rehearse this medication. One, the client will need oxytocin. Oxytocin. Two, the client will need a drug called mes uh, mesoprosol. Mesoprosol. Um the client will need mesoprostor, uh, T-O-L, yeah, it's P-M-I-S-O-P-R-O-S-T-O-L, mesoprostor. The client will need um, another drug we call the carboprost, 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 or what we refer to as um, carboprost, uh, they call it carboprostometamine. So it's other carbopro or carboprostrometamine, trometamine. The client will need, need, need these medications. So you want to read about oxytocin, the class, the function, the good and bad side of body, and also all the, the last two drugs. You all know about them, and you all know a lot about them. Um, so any question on uh, hemorrhaging? You're going to have like a routine placenta. In routine placenta, um, there are fragments of the placenta that remains in the uterus. Now, when these fragments remain in, the are going to bleed to death. Until these fragments are removed, then bleeding will stop. If they are not removed, bleeding cannot stop. Um, so in this case, 
when there's a fibrinous taste in the uterus, it prevents uterine contraction. And once the uterus is not the uterus is not contracted, bleeding will not stop. So once a plasma, a fibrin remains in there, it stimulates uterine blood flow, which is preventing uterine contraction. That's why you always have bleeding when there's a uh, fragment of the placenta remaining in the in the uterus. There are so many risk factors. One could be partial separation of the placenta. If the placenta did not remove, it did not get detached, it gets wholesome, it was detached fragmentally, there will be fragments remaining in there and that might cause bleeding. Another cause could be when there is an excessive traction of the umbilical cord prior to uh, the complete, uh, 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 prior to complete separation of the placenta. In that case, it could cause it to happen also. Another cause is when the placenta tissue sticks on the wall of the uterus, that is the endometrium. Uh, if it sticks on the endometrium, the client is still going to have bleeding in this case. Another case is when there's a preterm birth between 24 weeks of gestation, the client can have this problem. So in this case, we do physical assessment. We do physical assessment. We want to farm uterine or uterine atony. We want to find sub involutions. We want to have. We want to find inversion. We also are going to have excessive bleeding or blood clot larger than a quarter. We want to have return of lochial rubra once. <coughs> we have lochial serosa. So 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 we're going to have the first three hours. The first three hours, the, uh, sorry, the first three days, we'll have the lochia or, or rubra going away. We can have lochia serosa or lochia alba. Then this lochia rubra will return because there's a, some, there's, there's a fragment in there. It will return and the bleeding will continue. It, it wouldn't stop until the fragment is removed from the uterus. Now, another thing going to happen is, um, in this case, <coughs> The rubra, the rubra will be mild odor. It will smell so offensive. There will be offensive smell of the lochia rubra in this case. Um, the other going to be the client will have elevated temperature. The client will have fever. This thing going to happen. So we we'll do again the hematocrit and the hemoglobin. There will be decrease in our hematocrit and our hemoglobin. So we can go ahead and do manual separation. <coughs> we can put our hands in and clear the uterus and bring it out. That is manual cleaning. <clears throat> or we can do D and C to clear the uterus. So in this case, for the management, we want to monitor the uterus for the fundus height. <clears throat> we want to look at the consistency of the fundus, uh, sorry, the consistency of the, of the uterus and the position of the uterus. We want to monitor the color of the lochia the scent of the lochia, the lochia consistency, and the lochia odor. These are all indicators for postpartum retained placenta. I want to go in and provide IV fluids, provide O2 at 3 liters per minute, and we also want to go in and also 
intervenes surgically if it is not removed our hands manually. Then we'll do the DNC or the EOU, wherein the uterus will be evacuated or will do DNC. <clears throat> or sometimes the client can even do hysterectomy. If, it is, if DNC cannot remove it, we go and remove the entire, the entire uterus, which is a procedure we call hysterectomy. We can give drugs like oxytocin can also help. We can give tabutaline, which can also help in this case. So we give oxytocin, which I also asked you to read about. We can give uh, tabutaline, um, tabutaline. We give uh, this medication um, to help the client. Um, we can also give these drugs to help the client. So if the client had laceration or hematoma, this may occur during birth. Um, it might consist of tearing of the soft tissues of the birth canal. Um, in this case, or we can also do an epiostomy. <clears throat> we can do an epi Episiotomy. Look at this particular procedure. It's done to create a tearing to extend or to expand the size of the vaginal orifice when the child, when the fetus cannot come out normally. So look at that. Um, what I would do, uh, what, what I would did laceration or the client has a the client has hematoma or did episiotomy. Um, we must, uh, there are things that put us at risk. Now, if if we if, if we did what we call operative vaginal birth, that is, we, we use um, vacuum delivery or we use a faucet delivery, this delivery method can lead to um, these complications. Um, if we have called cephalopelvic disproportion, we call it cephalopelvic, cephalopelvic, meaning the head of the fetus is disproportional to the pelvic outlet. Meaning the child hair is bigger than the pelvic. So in that case, the child hair cannot pass or go and create, it might create laceration, it might create hematoma, or we go and create epithelioma by cutting off one of the labia to stretch the vagina open so that the child can, the child can come out. Um, for laceration, there will be a sensation of oozing or trickling of blood. There will be excessive uh, local rubra <coughs> for laceration with or without blood clots. For hematoma, there will be pains. There's going to be pressure sensation in the rectum. Now, this is a big one. Let, let me just read it on the board because it is important. I have seen it in question. For the hematoma, after delivery, the client will complain of symptoms such as they are having pressure sensation in the, in the, in the rectum. They are having pressure sensation. They feel pressure in the rectum. In the rectum, in this case, it is a cardinal symptom a cardinal symptom for what we call hematoma, hematomas. Pressure, pressure being felt in the rectum. 
there's a cardinal symptom for hematoma in this case. Um, also, um, the client can have difficulty avoiding. The client cannot pee. If they want to pee, they cannot pee because of the hematoma in there. So if the client has laceration, they're not, if they're not bleeding, even though the uterus is firm and contracted, there will be continuous <coughs> slow or trickles of breath, rare blood from the vagina or is due to laceration or is due to hematoma. When a client has hematoma, like I said, there's going to be excessive uh, pressure in the rectum. There will be bulging, bluish mass or area of red purple discoloration on the vulva. There will be perineal or rectum discoloration in there. These are signs of hematoma I'm talking about. Um, so we assess the client for pains. We visually or monitor inspect the vulva, the perineal, and the rectum for laceration or hematomas. Hematoma is like a swelling, a rashing, or like a bore that's going to occur in the vaginal orifice due to compression of the body part of the fetus on the soft tissue of the vagina. That is what we call the hematoma. It's going to come in, it will seep fluid in there. The fluid can be a serosanguineous fluid or bleed or blood within a swelling. That's, that's what we call hematoma. So in this case, if it is episiotomy, like the cutting of the labia, we assess the site and we can also suture in there. We gotta evaluate the lotia. That is, we look for the lotia, we gotta look at the color, the amount, the odor to evaluate it well. We continue to assess the virus signs and the hemodynamic status. We attempt to identify the source of the bleeding. We assess the provider with repair procedures. We use ice packs to treat small hematomas. We administer pain medications, and we can also encourage six bath and perineal hygiene. So when a client completes, uh, when a client undergo episiotomy, we do six bath. <coughs> six bath for episiotomy. If the client complete, the client did uh, episiotomy, or the client has laceration, in this case, we'll do six bath. We don't do the set bath for hematoma. But for this for these two, we do set bath for these two. For hematoma, we don't do set bath for hematoma. Just so you know that. So for the for this for this one, we can suture. So for this one, we can do set bath and suture <coughs> and suture the laceration. And also in this case. We can also suture and use sit bath for healing. Any questions so far? You're going to read on uh, uterine infection, what we call the endometritis. So you, I want you to look at two things. We have what we call endometritis and endometriosis. So you, you want to go ahead and read on uh, one, the difference between endometritis, metritis versus endometriosis. 
read on endometritis and endometriosis. That's one. You want to read on mastitis. Mastitis. That's two. You want to go ahead um, and read on the um you you want to read on now if you're reading on a um if you're reading on a mastitis you will talk about endometritis no i'm sorry when you're reading on a infection you read about these things but this will not be seen there so just read on, on endometriosis because you wouldn't see this on a it's not a postpartum condition. So it's mostly linked with uh, when a client is, when a, when, a, when, a, when a woman is about to have menopause or something like which do other problems. So read on it, but the reason I'm talking about they are they sound alive, so there might be things the English will play on. So look at endometriosis, look at endometritis. So we can look at that and uh look at uh all those one then we're done with those conditions now the last portion is i want to talk about um postpartum depression postpartum psychosis and postpartum blues then we call it a day now these are three conditions that are linked to mental illness that comes when the client has or when the client has delivered or the client has given birth to a baby. So the client is going to have what we call postpartum depression, postpartum blues. So we have what we call postpartum blues. Um, two, we have postpartum depression. And we have postpartum psychosis. Now, these are three conditions that, comes after, that, that come after delivery. Now, the blues comes after delivery, and uh, this occurs to almost all women. Almost up to 85% of females who give birth can undergo postpartum blues. Now, postpartum blues... Um, it continues after birth up to 10 days after after, after delivery. Um, during this period, the lady will experience tearfulness. She will, she, her eyes will be teary. She will cry. Um, She's going to have night of uh, sleeplessness or insomnia. She will have lack of appetite. She's going to have a feeling of let down. She will feel like um, she's let down. She does not have the support. People are not helping her. She will feel like she she's going to feel like uh, she will have like sundown and she's going to feel like um, life is not what she thought it would have been. So she's going to have little regrets flowing in her mind. After delivery, it happens from day one up to ten days after delivery. So in that case, it's what we call the postpartum blues. So she's gonna have tearfulness. She will have insomnia. 
she'll have decreased appetite and she's going to have she's going to feel like she's been let down those are the cardinal signs for postpartum blues now these conditions what define them mainly is the time that they're going to have so the first one is the first 10 days so 10 days after delivery it could lead to what we call the postpartum blues now in the psychosis um okay let's do your blues first so the blues is where the client going to have like i said they'll cry for no reason um they'll become restless they'll be fatigued they'll have anxiety they'll have anger they'll have sadness and uh they're going to cry crying is a big sign for postpartum blues crying they will feel let down it's important to know the between postpartum blues and other postpartum condition this is categorized by crying then we have postpartum depression for the depression this occurs within the first six months after delivery the first six months six months after delivery comes postpartum depression so you're going to give birth um in the first six months you're going to have depression now this is characterized by persistent or consistent sadness they're going to be sadness and you're going to have immense mood swings most swing, what is most swing? In most swing, the client gonna have uh, depression to mania. When you have most swing, the client is having other hypomania or manic phase of depression that comes intermittently. In the morning hours, the client will be moved. The client will have complete hypomanic, uh, hypomanic time or hypomanic feelings. Mm -hmm. They'll be depressed. Now in the afternoon, the mood will change to manic uh, or phase. And they're gonna have that in this case. Um, in depression, it occurs in at least ten to fifteen percent of new mothers, and it does not resolve without intervention. Now, um, in the case of postpartum blues, it does not need intervention. It goes away by itself. In postpartum blues, in depression, it it needs an intervention without intervention it does not go away so let's take these points seriously in blues it does not need intervention in in depression it needs intervention it comes in the first six months after delivery now um it is similar to non-postpartum mood disorder in this case so the client will have the same symptoms of depression that, that someone going to have without going through delivery so so they're going to have the same symptoms so it's, it's not different any other depression it's the same symptom that's going to come with that comes with other depression then we have under here the client will be irritable they will lack appetite just understand the same symptom you're going to have when you depressed when you feel so bad you feel so nasty about life you feel that you will lose interest in everything in life that brings pleasure to you. You will lose interest in those things, which we call anhedonia. In mental health, when, you, when the client does not have interest in lively, pleasurable things, 
that client is having what we call anhedonia. So in this case, the client will have the same anhedonia when the client has depression or postpartum depression. Now, the client will have intense mood swings. The client will have sleep pattern disturbances. The client will cry. They will have weight loss. They're going to have flat affect. The client will have flat affect. The client will have irritability. The client will have rejection of the infant. The client will reject their own infant. That's a big sound in there. It's a symptom. Infant rejecting the, the child that you've born, that child is being rejected by the mother. And the client is going to have severe anxiety and severe panic attack in the case of depression. These are things the client is going to, going to experience over here. Then we have the last one is called the postpartum psychosis. Now, in psychosis, um, now this developed the first two to three weeks after, after delivery. Now, this developed, so now, this would not be called depression or so, uh, psychosis if the client gave birth and the client gone more than three weeks. In this case, it is now called psychosis. So the client is having psychosis. It lasts. For, it comes after the within the first two or three weeks of of of, of, of delivery. Um, client who have a history of bipolar disorder are at risk. So if the client has a history of bipolar disorders, the client is at risk for this condition. Um, there are clinical findings under here. Now the client will have confusion. In psychosis, the client will have this orientation in psychosis. The client will have um, hallucinations, they will have delusions, and they will attempt to, uh, to harm their infant or harm themselves in the case of postpartum psychosis. They will have what we call SIMSH, which is suicidal ideation, or they will have self injurious or self harmful behavior. So the client will have SISH. The client will have hallucination. The client will have delusions. The client will have uh, disorientation. The client will have confusion. All of signs that we're going to see when the client is having psychosis. Now, the client is going to have the same psychotic symptoms that we're going to experience when we are having psychotic problems, like when we are having schizophrenia, we are having all those psychotic problems. The client will experience the same symptoms in the case of postpartum psychosis and we'll also experience the same symptom in depression after delivery like the same symptom we can experience when you have a regular depressive condition so in this case um now the client will be paranoid in psychosis the client will have pronounced sadness the client will also be sad in psychosis in popular psychosis um in this case the nurse should monitor the client for suicidal thoughts or delusional thoughts. Um, the nurse should monitor the, the, the infant for failure to thrive <coughs> because the mother, the mother is not providing the care the child needs, the child will not grow, which will cause growth retardation or the client will fail to thrive in this case. So we monitor the interaction between the child and the mother. We encourage the bounding. We monitor the client's mood and the client affect. The client infants, that we enforce okay. the mood. Now, please define mood and affect. Know what is mood and know what is affect. So define mood, because I have said it so many times, but I want you to define it. <coughs> define 
mood and define affect and look at the kind of mood the kind of affect you see the, the mood and affect on it to have an idea on it um you also want to go ahead and uh, encourage the client to communicate his uh, to communicate her feelings with any prescribed medication regimen <clears throat> contact a community resource center that can help the client contact uh ask the client if the client uh the client have the thought to kill herself or to harm anybody uh so the client will commit suicide or the client wants to harm their baby provide for the safety of the client and the client child should be the priority um the client can take anti-depression the client is having depression which is postpartum depression <clears throat> the client can take anti-psychotic medication the client is having psychosis uh, psychosis or the client can take mood stabilizer when the client has this condition now you want to go ahead and look at these drugs because we've done them and you want to understand what these drugs are like the last time we we're on this board i talked about negative symptoms on this board i think we're positive symptom and it came in for any test negative symptoms and positive symptoms of 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 of, of, of how you call it of the condition now I said negative symptoms are symptoms that are taken away when you become mentally ill. Positive symptoms that are added due to illness. They include hallucination, they include some delusion and other things. I listed everything on here. So when I'm talking, like now I come from what I say to talk about when I put it on the board, let's do a follow-up on them. It is important because these are hot spots for the anglers. So go ahead and look at um these drugs, antidepressant. We did this medic this medication. We said there are five kinds of these drugs. There are five kinds on here. Look at the five kinds and know what they are. If you can remember, go back to our audio on a mess on our on our uh, in our audio bank, you'll see them there. Look out for mood stabilizer. We talk about them on here. Look for them in our audio bank. They are there. Listen to them. Mood stabilizer. Then look at anti-psychotic anti-psychotic medication we said they are lack we'll talk about the first generation anti-psychotic talk about second generation not, not psychotic we'll talk about the anti psychotropic medication psychotropic drug we'll talk about them so look at these drug classes and just read about them and know what they are and what do they do or what how do they how these drugs can treat this real condition is it is important to know them any question so this so 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 this should end for